Welcome to Keystone Education Radio, the podcast for all things focused on education in Pennsylvania. Now here's your host, Annette Stevenson. Today's episode was pre-recorded during the 2018 School Leadership Conference. We had the opportunity to talk with one of our featured session speakers to discuss technology and how to balance the challenges schools are faced with, such as underfunding, meeting and exceeding educational requirements, and rising to meet the needs of a changing, evolving student populace. I'm here with Thomas C. Murray. He is the Director of Innovation for Future Ready Schools, a project of the Alliance for Excellent Education based in Washington, D.C. We're going to be talking about the role of technology in education and how to leverage it to prepare students for college, career, and life beyond graduation. Welcome, Thomas. Thank you for being here. What an honor it is to be here in my home state of Pennsylvania. Well, welcome. Happy to have you and happy to have you here talking to our audience about this topic. Um, With the more demands than ever on educators and school leaders today, how do schools avoid the cookie cutter one size fits all method? You know, that's actually something we address in Learning Transformed and through Future Ready Schools, both things I'm involved in, um, for a variety of reasons. Number one, how do we create schools that are relevant for the, the kids today in the world that we live in, but at the same time, school board members, superintendents are often put in very difficult positions with the, the way things are today. They're often asked to do more and more with less and less. Every so year, true. it seems things like retirement's going up, um, so they're, they're trying to keep things level, but at the same time, many of their fixed costs continue to go up, such as retirement and such as health care and those kinds of things. So they're put in very difficult positions. Absolutely. So when we take a look, part of the, the work that, that we do nationally as well is how do we support school leaders, whether they're, they're uh, superintendents or board members, to be able to, to make great decisions. Uh, we work a lot with leadership and school culture, laying that foundation for future ready schools, laying the, for the foundation that, that kids need. Right. How do we make great decisions that are sustainable? And I know if I'm a board member, that is one of the biggest questions I always have. How do we make sure the decisions Absolutely. we're making now as a board will be sustainable three years from now, five Five years from now, you know, at a time where we don't always know what state funding is going to look like, whether it's one of the title fundings, title one funding, or something like that, um, but we never really know for sure. And so, um, number one, it's it's I'm completely honored to be here with many board members who give so so much of their time, weeks and weeks and weeks of their time every single year. They do out of their hearts to serve their community. So it's an honor to be with you all today. Great, thank you. So within the context of your recent book, Learning Transformed, what does the word transformed mean to you? Sure. It's really looking at, going back to the first question that you started to ask, what is it that every child needs? When we look back in time, you know, if you were to look back 40 or 50 years ago in our school systems, you know, so much has changed since then um, in a a variety of of ways. What is it that our kids need and how do we build schools so that it's it's going to be best for them? From a school board end, how do we do it to serve the community? Because or be if we throw all sorts of money at everything that might solve certain problems but we know it's not realistic and we know um, it's, it's, it's just not feasible to do um, anywhere at this point point. and so how do we going to that notion of transformed how do we transform the learning itself so let me give okay. you some examples many times for us we grew up in an environment where it was the teacher standing up front they would share lots of information and in essence we regurgitated it there's a, a time and a place for things that we did um, that are still very tried and true today like the relationship between a teacher and a student but if we're going to transform the learning side of it how do we make sure that learning is heavily engaging where students are doing and not just sitting back and listening here's why when you look at the research on the in the evidence of really that 
stand and deliver regurgitation-based methodology, okay. kids don't really remember things long-term in that environment. So how do we make sure that things are very hands-on? You know, some of our areas have always done, our tech schools have always done an amazing job with that. Our mm -hmm. band or our chorus, those things have always been very individualized or personalized. Right. Our coaches have always done those things. So to transform learning in the classroom, how do we meet the needs of each student as a mm -hmm. learner, as opposed to a one-size-fits-all approach? Everything we know from a research end versus everything truly about common sense. If you've right. got 30 different people in a room, just doing things in one size isn't feasible. You're not gonna meet all the needs. And we don't want to just have, here's my high group, my middle group, my low group. Today's technology and through a variety of other facets can really support teachers and okay. take great teachers and help what they've done do even better to support kids to really meet them where they are. Okay. Now, the term technology obviously is broad, but as that overarching term, we know that schools are being asked to do more with less and less meaning in the way of funding sure. oftentimes. Mm -hmm. I think technology is seen as something that may not be available to schools that are um, underfunded, under-resourced. Yeah. So how can this be addressed? How can technology still be part of those environments sure. where there isn't an abundance? Yeah, great question. So what you're referring to has been referred to nationally for about 15 years as the digital divide. Um, mm -hmm. Real struggles across the country uh, with the has and the has-nots. Many times your suburban schools that have a bit more funding mm -hmm. are often to provide and then you go five, six miles away sometimes and they have very little. That right. funding is a real world issue and I certainly don't want to minimize that. Regardless of the district, they need to be smart with the funds that they have. One of the things that we wrote about in Learning Transformed is this notion of return on instruction. How do we make sure that the money that we're spending, regardless of its technology or some other area, has the best bang for the buck, so to say, because every dollar we spend in a school comes out of a taxpayer's pocket or comes from some sort of state funding, so we've mm -hmm. got to be smart with that. And the notion of technology, one of the things that has been helpful for schools is it's one of the very few things that continues to get better and better and typically cheaper and cheaper. You know, you can buy a device today for a child for the same price that you can buy the biology book we've always bought, and it can last exactly. multiple years and so what districts where they get themselves in trouble is it's we've tried to do everything we've always done and now we're just gonna layer technology on top of it okay. that's not sustainable because now we're just trying to buy more and more with less and less we can't do that how do we make sure that as we invest money in there we're giving elsewhere for instance mm -hmm. Districts often spend, especially larger ones, they'll spend well over a million dollars a year, larger ones especially, on copier, toner, paper, and those kinds of things. Well, as we do in more and more digital, we should see those types of things going down in terms of cost to the district. Right. And so if we don't, that becomes a problem. That right. shows we're probably just doing everything we've always done, and now we've got 10 minutes left, just hop on the Chromebook, and now we're good to go. But the good thing, with those declining costs for that, that can work to a district's advantage. Now, it's really important that districts have sustainability and refresh type plans to make sure that it's not here's a once and done and four years from now we're saying well where's the money come from again because we see districts do that you really need this long-term vision so to boil it down to a few things number one it's important for the districts to have the vision for the why we don't just buy something because the district next door does it we don't just go one-to-one -one because it's a trendy thing out there focus on the why we want to provide students with access to the world opportunities to the world you know today's kids have more opportunities to change the world than we ever did because of connectivity you can take a student that's in rural Pennsylvania that has very little in terms of other businesses that are there, but yet with a $250 device can connect them to the world and the world's information. That's an amazing Endless. piece to that, right? Mm -hmm. And so when we take a look at that, that vision is key, focusing on the why for technology. It's not because it's technology's sake, because one of the things I'll address today in one of the sessions, you can be digital and be very low level. 
Just okay. because something is digital doesn't mean it's any good. And we see sometimes districts or folks celebrating, you know, we're 100% paperless. And I, I push back, so what? You know, I mean, mm -hmm. yeah, we want to save some paper, but it's about the learning. You don't want to supplement something and change it just because it's now digital and then lose the rigor in terms of the instructional end. It's always okay. quality first. What's interesting about technology is when you look at the research of its use, technology is an accelerant. So technology will take great instructional practices and make it even better for kids, more opportunity, things like that. Technology, though, it's a double-edged sword, will also speed up the rate of failure in poor instructional practices. And so evidence has shown that. And so it's not just technology for technology's sake. It's having the vision, understanding the why, and then using it as a tool. It's an amazing, amazing tool. And so focused also there on the why. It's not just being digital. It's not just now I'm doing notes on, on a computer as opposed to handwriting. If that's why we're doing it, we're really missing the boat. Right. How do we take the world's information put it at a child's fingertips because that's how many of us live most of us live mm -hmm. on a daily basis we're looking on our phones we're doing something digital we're paying a bill we're responding to an email for work we want to give kids True. the experiences in school that relate to, to their life as much as possible so future ready schools the project of the Alliance for excellent education describe exactly what sure. is that so as director of innovation for future ready schools we are a national support now we're not federal we're not tied to a Republican or Democrat we're not a political outfit at all mm -hmm. we are truly there to support superintendents and to support school leaders okay. um, NSBA the National School Boards Association is one of our partners in that work because okay. school boards are obviously such a vital aspect of all of this work and so future ready is a free support for school and district leaders we raise money particularly through grants, to be able to turn around and support school and district leaders um, mm -hmm. at different events and with ongoing professional learning free of charge. Districts have to just get themselves there. And so one of the neat things, we have many board members come to our events as a strategic team. We encourage district leaders to not just come as individuals, but bring a board member or a superintendent, maybe a principal, okay. uh, maybe an instructional coach, somebody on the tech side to really come. We help districts uh, do a variety of things. Number one, vision and to strategically plan where are we going with all this work. So many times you'll hear from teachers you know I just feel like I'm spinning my wheels year after year it's something new and you know something else to be different next Hard year to keep up with. and and that's often the, the that's often the side of a lack of vision of understanding where we're going and it's just understanding that like every year something just gets layered on top or dumped on top of them it, it's often a vision issue and so helping district leaders formulate that vision so folks in the district and their community understand where they're going with things um, is really one aspect of things but another is this notion of leadership and culture and that's part of what I'll address today working with board members and working with superintendents, how do you create a culture in your school district where people want to be? There's times you talk to teachers and it's they're, they're looking to get out because it's a toxic environment. They don't want to, they don't look forward to going to work. In those environments, you know who loses most? It's not we adults, it's right. the children. It's, it's yeah, the kids students, that we have the sure. opportunity to serve. So as school boards and as, as superintendents, it's a difficult balance because you're dealing with tough issues um, on a weekly basis. You know, whether, whether it's funding or budgets, that's one side of things, but the community side, things come up, real world difficult issues that they deal with that aren't always positive. Mm -hmm. And so how do you continue to create a culture in a, in a district where people want to run to, where kids want to be, where families are proud to say your name as a school district? because um, that's not always the case and, and I as an educator myself it's, it's hard to say that but when I work across the country and work with many different districts there's places that um, really need some support and so we really work from a leadership and a culture and supporting schools and districts on how do you move forward to create the environments kids need where people want to be but also where do we look at things such as sustainability what I brought up earlier how do we make sure that those decisions and so many facets of the things that we do are in flux with funding but are going to be sustainable long term and balancing the needs of the community 
community with the needs of the kids because it's not again like I said earlier that we can just buy everything for every kid and give them all a personal tutor it's not feasible you know we could no, say yeah that'd be best all. for kids but mm -hmm. it's just not possible and so how do you balance that with the needs of the taxpayers and the communities in our work and you know as schools what I will say to wrap that piece up I have a lot of hope because I come to a conference like this I see school board members that pour their lives into other people's children I work with superintendents that mm -hmm. work round the clock seven days a week don't ever stop for what they believe in and that's our children and I have great belief and, and hope in the future of our country because today I get to see school board members, superintendents, or if I'm on site, seeing teachers pour their hearts into other people's kids. Mm -hmm. And that for me gives me a lot of hope of the future of our country. You talked um, in this last question about vision. And so with respect to the leadership self-assessment that mm -hmm. is part of your process, mm -hmm. just talk a little bit, not in great sure. detail, but how is that conducted and sure. what comes out of that? Great, great question. So as part of Future Ready Schools, we also develop not just events, but a lot of tools and resources completely free for districts. We don't sell anything, um, which is always nice to hear. People will always, it's you know, is this, is, this the, is this, you know, for $29.99 a month, you can be Future Ready too at the end of the month. That We don't sell anything. We don't That's take $1 from a district. An we never important have, point. And we won't. <laughs> Correct. Um, so it, yeah, so there's no, there's no sales pitch here by any means. It's more of how can we support the work that the great work that they're doing. So the leadership self-assessment has been taken by over 1,500 school districts nationwide wow. um, already. It's actually the one assessment rep, uh, recommended by the U.S. Department of Education for Title IV funding for districts that receive $30,000 or more for Title IV. Um, there's a reason for that. One, it's it's. Um, it's research and evidence-based. Number two, it's vision-oriented of where they're going. Okay. And number three, districts own their own data. And so this is not us collecting data, trying to sell and market to them. It's they own their own data and can do whatever they want with it. So it's really a free, a, okay. a free strategic planning tool. We have a lot of states that are starting to say, hey, this is a lot better than the assessment that we do um, in our state because we've raised a lot of money to be able to do this at a national level. And it's, again, completely free for districts. So as part of that process, uh, the superintendent or whoever they appoint really develop a team. It's so mm -hmm. important for us that it's not just two or three people deciding everything for a, a district because each of us has a different lens. Mm -hmm. So we encourage districts to get superintendents, get a board member, have some community representation who could be the board but um, also could be other members, have some teachers, some principals, really come together and work through the assessment together being real in where they are. You see every day in, in every district around the country great things are happening but every district also has needs. Every district have areas that they can pr improve and that's not any sort of condescending comment, it's just the reality of being human and sure. working with people. And and so um, that's one of the examples of the free tools and resources that districts can use. Again, over 1,500 districts across the country have used that. Um, and it's something we're really proud of because districts are, are showing that here's where we're going with it. Here's the research and evidence that shows it. It also provides a lot of gaps and strategies. So it'll point out, here's gaps in your responses. And then written by about 60 practitioners, here are strategies to help close those gaps in your districts that you might want to try. It's all free and there's no catch. Okay. We held an equity summit earlier this week, and there's a lot of conversation around equity and equity in education, of course. So what does that mean to you sure. within the context of what we've been talking about? Yeah. Well, first of all, kudos for holding that summit. Uh, equity is core to the beliefs at Future Ready Schools and the work that we do. Um, no longer should a zip code determine a child's educational outcomes. That's a quote that Arnie Duncan would often use. You know, when we take a look at this notion of, of equity, I look at it in a variety of ways. Some folks, um, I'm proud to live in the Parkland School District here in Pennsylvania. I'll give them a shout. And I know at the, the conference yesterday, they presented on this notion of digital equity. Yes. And so uh, they're doing 
incredible things as Parkland as a district, but again, their, their, their um, district leadership has a vision for it. They understand the why, you know, and it's supporting all kids. You know, education, as, especially in here for public schools, our goal is to support all children, not just those children that have or that can, all children. And that's something in our country that we're proud of, you know. Um, we'll have uh, children come to us with some of the most severe disabilities or some of the most severe needs, and we're proud to say we don't give up on that kid like many other places do. And so when I take this notion of equity is how do we provide essentially what a child needs under the best context, and again, thinking from a financial end, in the best feasible way possible. So Absolutely. I look at equity in, in a variety of ways. One is this notion of equity and access. That's things such as devices. I referenced the digital divide earlier on, kind of the has and has nots. But another example of that is this notion of the homework gap. The homework gap is a term that's coined out of DC. I work alongside the FCC a little bit in a bipartisan way. One of the things that the homework gap, it's not about homework, it's really about connectivity at home. And mm -hmm. so I'll give you an example of that. Five million of our nation's families do not have internet connectivity at home. That's a pretty high number there. So what happens if I'm a district doing something digital, doing it on a device, saying to a student, okay, go home and access this at night, and I can't, then what? And I've never met a kid that wants to put their hand up and say, yeah, we can't afford that at home. So the notion of access is something important. And not that the solution is to turn around and buy Wi-Fi for every one of those kids. That's not what we're recommending. Take a look at, for instance, community partnerships is one of our gears of our overall framework. I think about a district like Spartanburg 7 in South Carolina, where they're partnering with all of their different businesses in their community because every business in our country is in the confines of one of our school districts. Yes. And so they're partnering with all their businesses, essentially saying, here's the skills we want our kids to have. Will you provide a place after school where kids can just hop on your Wi-Fi for free to be able to finish some work or do the work. And they started with easy ones. their public library, Starbucks, McDonald's. Sure. And many businesses are saying, sure, I'll get back to my community. They want to do that. And you're hearing a lot of great stories come out of that as well as an example of how can we band together because it's not just the school's kids, it's the community's kids to That's work together. Key. So equity and Absolutely. access is one thing. The other one I'll hit quickly is the notion of equity and opportunity. Um, you know, it, it's interesting because it can be a delicate subject because, um, you know, everybody sees the eyes through their own children and what they want for their own children. But when you study disparities in our country in terms of, I'll just use even a, a male-female female comparison, take a look at computer science in our country. You take a look at computer science and you look at the students that are taking those courses. Over time, you look at there's huge gaps of percentages of females taking courses like that. Now, not to say we want to force females to do that, but we want to make sure, do they feel welcome in environments like that? Mm -hmm. They walk in and it's 22 boys in themselves. Do they feel welcome? Or are districts making sure that, that females are encouraged in a space that may have been previously dominated as male. That could be an ex example and opportunity. Another example related to opportunity is two different districts next door. In one district, kids can take honors courses or AP courses, or you know they might be able to take Mandarin Chinese if they want. Mm -hmm. And then in the district next door, they're struggling just to provide the basics. And you talk about completely different opportunities based on which side of the street you live on. We have huge gaps in our country related to that. And there's no easy solutions. I mean, funding's a massive issue, and who's gonna pay for that is, is certainly a real uh, scenario here with that but at the end of the day how do we provide the best access to all kids regardless of their needs is really ultimately one of our goals and to me that's how we define equity great so if school leaders are interested in knowing more about what we've been discussing sure. or knowing more about Future Ready Schools, where can they find out? Sure. I encourage them to check out futureready.org. Again, you won't see anything for sale on that site, so go go check that out. Um, the events that yep, the events that we have are free around the country and we have board members all the time uh, join us. We encourage them to do that, to join us as a board me member. We have two days of a great conversation. We run really good PD. It's a lot of fun in the process. But you also get to network and connect with other folks from the region that are working and That's doing 
doing the work, at a, just like a conference like this, that you can know that you're not alone in the struggles. You're not alone. You're not the only district that's having financial woes. How do we come together to support each other, to share innovative ideas, share innovative practices, to help also problem solve some of the common issues we have together? Um, so I encourage you to check those things out, as well as we, we pro provide a lot of resources that come out on a regular basis. We just wrote uh, a white paper specifically for rural districts. And oh. here in Pennsylvania, how many rural districts we have? Many of them, hundreds of them. A lot. And, and so yeah. they have some unique challenges compared to some of our more urban or suburban ones. And so we provide tools and resources, especially for unique groups like that as well. Another one of our partners is the National Rural Education Association. Well, we sure. did that in partnership yeah. with them to be able to turn around to support schools. And again, none of that's for sale. It's just truly a support with no catch. Excellent. Tom, I want to thank you so much for taking time today to talk with us on this really important topic. Great. Honored to be here, especially to be home here in Pennsylvania. Thanks for having me. Great. Listeners, I encourage you to go to our website at keyedradio.org for more information and resources supporting today's discussion. This is Annette Gray saying thank you for listening to Keystone Education Radio. The views and opinions expressed on the Keystone Education Radio podcast are solely the views and opinions of our guests and do not reflect the views and opinions of the Pennsylvania School Boards Association. Thank you.